everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanling. Joining me, we have Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? It feels like it's been 84 years since I've talked to the two of you. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's only been two weeks, and we're, we're less than a week from actual racing. I know. Just over a week. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to rekindle the flame of Shift F1. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not bad. So close to that racing, I can almost taste it. Mm. I know, I know. Uh, if you have just found Formula One, it's a good time. Uh, we have an episode designed <laughs> for newbies uh, that explains the entire sport from top to bottom, um, which is now back to being relevant because, folks, uh, we're about a week and a half away from the start of the 2020 Formula One season. So if you want to check out that primer episode, it's episode 96. Uh, and if you are new to the podcast, we have been doing these sort of news-only shows, but starting next week, we will be back to our regularly scheduled programming uh, where we do a pre-race buildup uh, and a post-race debrief. Uh, although these races are going to be pretty smashed together, so expect some dense episodes. Um, also, this show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcast episodes exclusively for our patrons, uh, covering racing documentaries and films primers for other racing series and other weird things so if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that uh, along with early access to the video content that we do on our youtube channel head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes what's going on this month danny in the world of patreon my oh my uh what is the what is the one we're recording next we're i think we're doing it tomorrow we're recording it tomorrow it's, yeah uh it is and we go green the formula e called. documentary which yes. i just learned is on YouTube, but it is geo-blocked. For uh, where? And requires uh, a login for age verification. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So while yeah, I tried my tried-and-true uh, Singapore VPN, uh, I still had to log into a Google account, which I was not willing to do. So it it's thought, on YouTube it thought and you were it's on Hulu. A, a child in Singapore. Right. You should not be watching <laughs> right. a movie about ecologically friendly racing i don't know or yeah. friendlier they're pretty sad <laughs> racers though uh, is that what it is it's just i think, it, I think it's, it's like this this movie's a bummer dread. kids you know <laughs> we can't we can't expose you to this yeah go play with your beyblades this isn't worth it <laughs> um yeah we're we're on that and i guess uh yeah we'll have to we'll have to figure out what we're doing for next month i can't even know we're gonna have to get back to doing track races again we'll have to do austria twice on YouTube. <laughs> Do we really? <laughs> I don't know. Let's uh, let's figure it out. Uh, well, should we just jump right into the news, gentlemen? Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, uh, since we are getting closer to the start, uh, a little bit of an update here on the, the 2020 season, and I guess sort of how it's uh, affected by COVID. Uh, as the last episode um, mentioned, we have currently an eight- race schedule with more races planned um to be added uh mm. however um baku singapore and uh japan uh have all said that nope we're not doing any races this year um so we're, we're kind of looking around to see who is going to step up for the rest of that imola uh, and mugello are apparently mm. ready to go um and autodromo do algarve Oh, it must be in Portugal, is it? Uh, it is. Uh, the Algarve. According to uh, this note here that Rob um, found, has renewed its FIA Grade 1 license. Interesting. Uh, which is required to host a Formula 1 track. Uh, but I think the, the one of the cooler potential races we could do is in uh, Bahrain with an alternate setup. So as uh, we've mentioned, there are different track configurations based on uh, what what racing series is there or whether it's just open for a track day on a weekend for people. You can kind of open up different parts of the track um, and uh, tracks to be most useful have different uh, different settings that you can set up. Bahrain, apparently, I didn't know this, apparently has like a, they're calling it a quote oval configuration, but it's not, it's not like a NASCAR or an Indy oval. Um, right. It's more like just a perimeter of the Bahrain circuit. So instead like of like a, for, a whole bunch for, of twisty like service stuff, vehicles, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's actually part of the track um but that could be an option uh have you guys watched this video no i did autosport uh, put together like a like a here's what it would look like 
Is it just a circle? No, no, no. Describe no. So, it to me. Okay, so you know how Bahrain, if you were to look at that track layout, it almost describes like a um, a, a great U or like a W with the uh, the center cut out. Totally, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's because the track sort of cuts back in on itself, and that's where you have the Sector 2 where it's all twisty and turny. What if Sector 2 didn't cut back inside and just stayed out uh, and bridged out to the Sector 3 oh, straight okay. away? Right, yeah. And you took the entire lap almost flat out uh the entire the entire way around that's wild i thought they did have cool. that they used to have a longer section in sector two didn't they they used to spit you up and then bring you back in i think the track for the first two years back when it wasn't a night race it used to have it used to be slightly longer so that just connects up to that to the the, the drs zone before the star finish right uh yeah it connects to the you know it, it connects to the penultimate straight of the uh yeah yeah it does okay like like when you go up the hill and then you're kind of yeah that's cool uh so it it seemed like a cool render i liked it a lot i liked that it just seemed very fast all the way through but you'll still have some good sharp corners uh i i hope they do it i'm 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 for anything that gives us more races this year. So if there is a way to get a second race out of Bahrain, I'm here for that. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Algarve International Circuit? Because Estoril is the one in Portugal that I always remember, but that's near Lisbon. I didn't know there was one down south. Because it's like a. I feel like I might have raced this in um, an endurance racing sim at one point. Okay. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of events listed on its Wikipedia page, but I've never. But the, some of these could be one-offs or something. I've never. The GP circuit is an Irish guy. Adam Carroll has the has the track uh, track record, lap race record. Um, yeah, so it I looks think, like I think an interesting in circuit. Race 07. Looks like. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I wonder why Estoril isn't. As far as I know, that's still around. I wonder why they. I'm throwing their hat in, considering they were an F1 track for a decent amount of time. Yeah, but like in 20. what era? When's the last time they ran an uh, Like mid-80s to mid-90s. Yeah, I wonder if it's still grade one. Right, yeah, it mightn't be. I'm just surprised, because the Algarve is kind of like, we used to go on holidays there all the time. It's kind of like a it's, a, it's a poorer part of the country. It's like very dependent on tourism and stuff. Uh so it's interesting that Estoril, which is in Lisbon, you know, it's uh, Portugal and Ireland have the similar kind of problem where everything is around the capital city. It's where all the money goes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. That'd be cool. Yeah, nothing, both of them. Nothing, is, uh, nothing is locked yet, uh, aside from those first uh, eight races. Um, but we, we are getting a clearer picture here of what a race weekend will look like um uh, i've sort of compiled a bunch of information here from race fans formula one.com and autosport uh apparently everyone will be <laughs> using a contact tracing app installed on their smartphones which is which is guaranteed to work mm. um they will be pre-testing team members that are standing by back at their home bases so each each team is only required uh, only can only bring i think 80 people or so to each race um but obviously if someone at the racetrack gets tests positive for covid they need to be able to fly people in uh, immediately so they will have pre-tested right. team members back at home okay um according to formula1.com uh, and ross braun uh quoted on there there will be no driver's parade uh no shoulder to shoulder anthem ceremony before the race um, and they won't be uh, packing the grid before the start. Uh, Autosport, I think, had originally said that um, maybe, or I think it was uh, quoted in an F FIA document suggesting that maybe we could just start from the garage and go on the formation lap from there. But yeah. I think Formula One is like, no, we can't do that. But we don't necessarily need a thousand people on the grid uh, getting these cars set up. Um, I, I also thought it was... You know, maybe I read this wrong, but Autosport in their article is saying that um, uh, teams are no longer able to select tire allocations per driver. Every team's just getting two hards, three mediums, and eight softs. Oh, really? Yeah, that's it. And then you you get what you get. I wonder why. I, I wonder if they're going to be testing. Presumably, they are like all the you know track track side helper marshals like. 
all those people who are going to be because they interact with the drivers whenever there's a crash or i'm sure like medical people will be i imagine yeah they're 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 putting a lot of emphasis on um setting up a bunch of different bubbles you know like the team each team has their own bubble and they can't got it you know merge bubbles or whatever yeah um the podium is something that's also going to to change uh braun is saying that they're not going to have a traditional podium um he says one option would be to line the cars up on the track and the drivers stand in front of the cars we can't present the trophies as you can't have someone in close proximity presenting a trophy but we have worked it out. We have plans and procedures. We're looking at how we can present it uh, on TV. Um, and speaking of TV, I saw Simon... Oh, I always forget this guy's name. Is it uh, Lazenby? A part of the Sky? Yeah, Lazenby, yeah. Lazenby. Part of the Sky team. He says that um, uh, they will be on site in Austria. Right, okay. Uh, which, in a bubble. Yeah, in their in their own bubble. Which I so guess, what do we think? Are they... Are they going to lower in the trophy with a drone <laughs> or <laughs> have it just... sealed in some kind of Lexan case? Yeah. They'll have a robot spray the drivers. With... You'll have to stand in front <laughs> of a champagne <laughs> bottle and they'll just have it like spray you in the face. Right. Yes. I'm really hoping they do the um, post-race driver interviews where you get like a F1 personality to come out and interview the drivers but with a long mic on a boom. <laughs> yes. And so you just get the visual of just like David Coulthard or whoever, just like holding, like shoving this giant boom mic in various drivers' faces. It'll be great. Yeah, the track walk before uh, before the race is going to be just um, him holding out like, yeah, like a 40-foot pole to talk over everyone. God, it's going to be strange to see uh, like... Yeah, the after race thing is going to be bizarre when, like, none of them can, like, jump on their... You know when they get out of the car and jump on all their buddies? Are they allowed to do that because they're in the bubble? I don't think so. I, I don't think Probably so. Not. I think it's a lot of going to be a lot of masks, a lot of, you know, social distancing. It's going to be right. weird. I, I'm excited to see how weird it is. Totally, yeah. Um. Uh, of course, another consideration is who do you put in the car if one of your drivers gets sick? Oh, boy. Um. And... Uh, Autosport also compiled a list of who everyone's reserve driver is. Mm. Um, so for Mercedes, Stoffel Van Dorn is their official reserve driver, uh, although Esteban Gutierrez uh, is their simulator driver, uh, which might come into play because Racing Point uh, effectively has dibs, uh, as does McLaren on Mercedes's drivers. Um, for Red Bull and uh, Alpha Tori, um, I think Red Bull would probably bring up Alpha Tori's drivers if any of the Red Bull guys got sick. But uh, Alpha Tori, um, their official reserve is uh, Sergio Sete Camera, a Formula Two mm. driver. Uh, or I actually think he's in Super Formula this year, so that could complicate things. Um, right. Sebastian Buemi, uh, who's in Formula E, is also uh, on reserve there. Um, Ferrari has uh, Giovinazzi, which is weird. Oh. <laughs> uh, and uh and um pascal verline who wow uh also uh former f1 driver currently in formula e um alonso is still linked with mclaren uh as oh is God. sergey sorotkin so that that could be weird uh and of course racing point um uh and renault uh both have ties to nika hokenberg um which is interesting in the case of renault because their test drivers do not have super licenses, nor oh, do kidding. those of uh, Haas. Um, although Steiner, Günther Steiner, team principal of Haas, basically said like, eh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that if it comes up. Which is <laughs> they're, like, call, they're calling the FIA's bluff. They're like, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll just wave them through. Right. Um, Alpha uh, Romeo has Bobby K. Woo! Robert Kubica on reserve. Um, Kubica watch coming back, Rob. It, it could be. I mean, now, if, now a really morbid Kubica watch, right? Where I'm like, <laughs> man, I sure hope nobody gets sick. Sure would be a shame. <laughs> uh, and uh, Marcus Erickson is also, um, well, he was reserved last year, so that's a possibility. Mm. And for Williams, uh, Jack Aitken, Formula 2 driver. Right. Good and it was uh, Louis Delatraz and uh, Pietro Fittipaldi for Haas. For Maybe. Haas, yeah, that, that lack super licenses. So right. <laughs> we, we will see. I mean... Uh, the FIA could theoretically grant some kind of like special dispensation right. for them. 
it's weird because Dallas was at Formula E, right? It's weird to some of these folks are. Do you not need a super license to drive Formula E, surely? No, I don't think you do. Right. Uh, or at least not at the level that not Formula quite 1. the racing machine that the Formula One car is. Uh, hey is man, those things e. make real nice wee noises and they go pretty fast. Go faster than my car. Wow, that's saying something. Yeah, my Fiat Punto. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's that's currently what we have to uh, look forward to, or what we know of. Uh, the upcoming season. Uh, NASCAR has already started their season. Um, and Yeehaw. Yeah. <laughs> Rob. And it's, and it's off to a great start. Oh, yeah. Um, Good times. Good times, NASCAR. So, fuck. I think we had talked about this a bit last time, which is that NASCAR finally took the step of banning the Confederate flag at NASCAR events. And that was seen as an overdue but welcome move by a lot of people and they asked before right they'd pretty please they said five years ago pretty please stop bringing your confederate flags but they weren't like enforcing it or right i think they had sort of i think they had quietly like try to discourage it but also they weren't willing to say get out of our sport that's that was the line they weren't willing to cross And it's really the line you need to cross if you're going to make progress on these issues, right? It's not enough to say, you know, we we value inclusion, but also we are unwilling to exclude racists and bigots uh, from from our events. And that's sort of where NASCAR had been until this year, uh, where they finally did uh, ban the Confederate flag uh, from events. And one of the drivers who pushed them to do that was Bubba Wallace, uh, who is, I believe, the only African-American driver on the uh, on the NASCAR grid. And then there were, like, not long after the banning of the Confederate flag, you already had your sort of first really sour note, uh, which was that another driver said he was going to run a uh, Blue Lives Matter livery for his car. Um I want to say it was Kyle Witherspoon. Uh, But anyway, so you had somebody right out of the gate, like the minute NASCAR says we're banning Confederate flags, you had another driver on the grid basically say, yeah, and I'm going to run a Blue Lives Matter livery. And is this is this the guy who who quit? Then? No, I think you're thinking of the the truck series guy. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. 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 He, He he quit. But apparently he was like a no name right <laughs> like never never one fuck all kind of right. dude yeah L- no loss kyle weatherman that's right kyle weatherman and uh mike Harmon racing they were they were the minute the confederate flag was banned they were out there saying we're gonna we're gonna run a blue lives matter uh livery and nothing racial about it we just want to send a little thank you to police officers and first responders and it's like a, worth worth noting in a sport which is founded on the notion of running from the cops. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. Uh, That's a really good point. <laughs> so cut to like the, this week, basically. And uh, NASCAR's at Talladega. And before the race, someone finds a noose hanging in Bubba Wallace's garage uh, Sunday night. Hey everybody, Drew here with an editor's note. Uh, Between the recording and posting of this podcast, the FBI has determined that the noose had been in that garage stall since 2019. Uh, Evidently, somebody got bored one day and made a noose out of the rope that pulls up the garage door, and Bubba just happened to get that stall. Uh, We're opting to leave the section uh, in the podcast because it's part of a larger discussion, Um, but it's perhaps illuminating that everyone thought something like this was plausible. Uh, IndyCar driver J.R. Hildebrand uh, put it succinctly when asked on Twitter if he felt, quote, scammed. He said, I do not feel scammed by this. I'm glad there isn't someone in the NASCAR community that intentionally did it. And I'm just as impressed now by how everyone responded when they thought there was. And the hate that Bubba faces on social alone uh, needs all the attention it can get. Um, all right. And quote, there's the context. And now back to the show. And the sport did do its best to sort of rally around Wallace. Uh, obviously, you may have seen over this past week, uh, you know, video of the drivers walking Bubba's car to the front of the grid in solidarity with him. Uh, and Richard Petty 
came out of not not of retirement, but Richard Petty hasn't been seen at a race in ages. But uh, Wallace right. is one of his drivers. Uh, came out and said the entire thing was disgusting. A lot of NASCAR personalities and NASCAR royalty uh, going out of their way to express support for Bubba Wallace. Um, at the same time, though, I think also at Talladega, somebody flew a Confederate flag over the like literally had a plane uh. buzz like go over the track with a. Um, with a sign trailed behind it saying defund NASCAR. So yeah, I think for me the question is how much how much stomach for this fight does NASCAR have? Because I think one of the through lines of the persistence of racism in this country is that people really quickly run out of patience for all the battles you have to fight to eliminate racism and bigotry and ex- and exclusion from your spaces. And people will generally choose the appearance of uh, contentment and quietude over sort of all the little battles you have to fight, all the lines you have to draw uh, to make sure that a space is made inclusive and that you are excluding uh, racists and reactionaries. And so I think right now, you know, obviously they're investigating what happened in the NASCAR pit lane that a noose was put in Bubba Wallace's garage. Uh, they are making very clear that the Confederate flag is not welcome at events anymore. I am curious how this fight evolves from here and how NASCAR will continue to make clear that this isn't just that this isn't just a thing being done to placate sponsors or, you know, SJWs or something, right? That this is, this is actually a change coming from within the culture of, of NASCAR. Uh, because if you don't make it actively clear that, you know, racists are no longer welcome here, they will pretty reliably create a narrative where they say, well, actually, we're just, we're just saying what people already think, and everyone else is just pretending out of self-interest. And they're hypocrites. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you made a really good point there. Where like, if if ever there was a sort of a um, uh, take action against racism soft lob, it would be somebody putting a fucking noose in the garage of a black driver. Like that is that's that's like that is insane. That is like stomach churning. So clearly, in that instance, you're like, okay, NASCAR taking action, they're making a big issue about it. The flag obviously is one that's been haunting them for a while. But then you worry about sort of more subtle and benign systemic issues with race within the sport. Like, how do those things get solved? These sort of like, you know, um, it's it's easy to come out against somebody putting a noose in a garage because it's just so horrific. Um, if if you don't take, if you don't have a problem with that, then there's something wrong with you. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting hearing because that's kind of what the conversation is about. I feel like outside of NASCAR, right? It's less these. These really, well, I guess in the case of so many of the victims of, of police murder, it is it is a, a flashpoint of pretty obvious thing that people are against. But also, there's just this more, uh, I don't know, broader acknowledgement of the subtle ways in which racism is affecting seemingly every part of life. So it'll be interesting to see how and in what ways these organizations do or don't react to that. Yeah. Um, well, sadly, I've got some more unfortunate news here. Um, Alex Zanardi uh, was involved in an accident uh, on Friday. <clears throat> um, he Zanardi raced in Formula One in the early 90s for um, Jordan, Minardi, and Lotus, and then moved to Kart, which uh, at that time was effectively what IndyCar is now, and won the championship there in 97-98. Then lost his legs in a crash in 2001. Worst crash I've ever seen. It's, Absolutely it's horrific. It's really, yeah, it's really bad. Uh, but then, and this is a testament to the kind of person he is, returned to the track two years later and completed the final 13 laps of the of the race. Unbelievable. Uh, and his fastest lap there would have put him fifth on the grid. Jesus Christ. Then after that, became a Paralympian in yeah. hand bike racing and won four gold medals. So in 2012, I think, wasn't it? Uh, I think you're right. So mm. this guy is just uh, an amazing human. Um, F1's Beyond the Grid podcast just did an interview interview with him, um, uh, gosh, like a week ago. Uh, but now, according to, from this, this I'm collecting this from Formula1.com, according to the Italian news agency ANSA, uh, Zanardi, during a hand bike race, had an accident uh, 
um, involving a truck and happened it happened on a state highway just outside of the town of Pienza near Siena. Uh, he was airlifted to a hospital where he underwent surgery for a quote severe head injury and is currently in a medically induced coma in Gosh. intensive care. So um, we are of course wishing the best for him not only because he's part of the motorsport community but uh, because he's just a great guy and has overcome some incredible challenges. Uh, in his life, so uh, I think if anyone can get through this, uh, Alex and Artie can. He was he was riding his bike when he was hit. Is that what we're yeah, yeah? In, this is in a part, hand bike race, I think. This is right. the part I kind of can't fathom. Uh, Drew, Drew, do you watch uh, cycling racing much? Uh, not really. Yeah, I watch. I would watch Tour Tour de France a lot, but I don't know about hand bikes. Right. That's that's the thing. Like Tour de France, obviously they've closed the roads. Um, yeah. But uh, but but cyclists are consistently hit by cars. Yeah. Yeah, support cars all the time. It's, oh, that's very terrible. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've so, been but, in a couple like charity charity rides and right. uh, not all of it is closed. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Because just the, the notion that this was like a cross cross country like road, uh, like hand bike race. And there is a truck in an oncoming lane uh, that a driver can can swerve into. Uh, just sounds terrifying to me. It, it sounds like something yeah. like this was was probably inevitable, um, and so I was just sort of stunned that uh, you know you'd you'd have a maybe I'm too used to F1 racing, right? Where like you do everything you can to eliminate like any sort of foreign object uh, on the on the racing surface. Uh, the, the the thought that Alex Zanardi would be hit by a truck coming the opposite direction during a race is just. Um, horrifying uh but also just one of those things that kind of leaves you asking like well surely somebody should have prevented this um yeah it's with especially with with because there's four they're three-wheeled bikes right those things yeah i think so So once you once you have more than two wheels the then you you get into f1 territory where where wheel failure means that you deviate not that you stop on a bike if you lose a wheel you tend to you might go over the top or you might, but you, you're not going to turn left or right unless you're, I don't know, in a bank no. or something, unless you're turning. Whereas if you're on one of these things and a wheel fails, you know, you're kind of a passenger like in a car. Yeah, right? unclear yeah, if that happened. I saw a report on uh, La Repubblica that is not necessarily a wheel failed. It's that the course hit a rather steep grade. And oh, okay. uh, like Zanardi just lost the bike a lost little control. bit uh, heading down okay. the grade, and then that like sent him uh, into the path of this truck. Um, but yeah, I really hope Probably. this this has some kind of uh, you know miraculously happy ending uh, because Zanardi's been one of the great stories and one of the great competitors yeah. in motorsport uh, mm-hmm. over the you know past decades. And it would just be um, very, very it's sad and yeah. uh, to his racing career. If it's, if it's, it, it's, it's like especially heartbreaking. It, it would be terrible to happen to anyone, of course, but there is a sort of a it's, it feels especially wrong happening to Alex and Artie, considering how much he's been through and how much he's he's overcome, you know, this exact thing. Uh, so. To move away from really heavy topics and back to the realm uh, where I think we all really excel, which is just petty grievance, uh, <laughs> we had a glimpse of new and improved question mark uh, TV graphics that the F1 broadcast is going to roll out this year. Uh, Autosport had a roundup of the new graphics that we're going we're gonna to get to start to see this year and uh, some some concepts for what like how they will display and how they'll look during the during the broadcast and I think the the, the real purpose of a lot of this is these are places to slap Amazon Web Services branding on the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we're going to be treated to insights that only the power of AWS could give us, uh, such as a car performance score. Oh, my God. Uh, and it's they- like, it's like it, that, that one feels like when you get to the end of a, an action role playing game. 
and it tells you if you got your S rank or not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a lot a lot of math going on. Or like, uh, I mean, GameSpot's just gonna give us a you know an eight point four. <laughs> yeah, what's the reviewer's tilt on a <laughs> Stoffel Vandorn? So they, they show a concept for it where like so they're going to have a graph that shows cars high speed corner low speed corner performance graphs uh gra- graphics and that will show just how good a car is at attacking parts of a track that fit that bill and i think in the concept art that uh autosport showed you kind of see a side by side of what looks like uh max and uh leclerc going side by side through a corner and over Max's car is a big old 6.6 and over uh, Leclerc's is a big old 7.2 and from that we're going to glean that one of those cars is better uh, in that part of the track and that's that's the early stuff they're going to roll out. Later in the season they're going to roll out driver skills ratings uh car uh car slash team development and overall season performance and then uh some race prediction graphics but the the thing that they show for like car performance scores is it's going to be like a weighted average of where the car is good on the track versus where it's bad so i think they're showing Mm -hmm. like a in again in the concept they're showing a mercedes and low speed is rated obviously these aren't the real scores but low speed uh it's 12th right it's a 5.9 out of 10 in low speed corners but in medium Mm. speed corners it's 8.3 high speed it's 8.0 and then on straights it's the best it's a 10.0 and so i guess that's how you know how good the mercedes is i hate this and, and this is this is coming from somebody who likes the tire graphic, the the much maligned tire life, tire performance graphic. Yeah. I was like, okay, sure, that like I can sort of see you having enough info to make educated guesses about how tires are doing at a certain point in a stint. This stuff begins to feel a little bit like scientism, right? Where it's like the illusion of method and like statistical rigor. But yeah. is it? Is, does it actually bring any of that to the table? I'm less confident of that. Yeah, I, I, what I dislike about this is that there seems to be a push in the direction of like this arbitrary score, right? Where you could actually just say, like, here are the speeds that everyone went through this corner, and this car is the second fastest. Yes, right. Which they already have. That is just not enough. So corners. much more clear. Yeah. Um, uh, I am, I think in general, in favor of surfacing more data. Yes. But this feels to me like a further obfuscation of the data you've just surfaced. So I don't, I don't get it either. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. It feels a little bit like the tire thing where you're like, you don't, you don't need to simplify like this this is a this is a savvy audience the people who are sitting there to watch f1 have accepted a certain amount of technological bullshit into their lives right like they're okay with trying to like parse this stuff and oftentimes we're watching this with you know a lot of this data stuff tends to come up actually probably more so in practice when we're just sort of like analyzing laps on individual cars and we've got really good commentators who are able to sort of like add narrative and context to this data so yeah it's it seems the, the the 10 point scale is kind of where it starts to lose me like everything else seems kind of fun but uh and, and i think i just come from it like the sort of the hard-on for analytics that we have as a culture these days largely brought on by just the the, the pervasiveness of stuff like aws and these services these massive you know wealth buckets these companies are, are selling and marketing that that i'm already a little bit sort of grossed out but whenever i see the aws stuff like because it happen, it comes up in madden all the time or in nfl all the time as well like this is what happened and they'll show like a graphic of the ball spinning and i'm like this is nothing to do with analytics like this is you've I, I see what you're saying but like yeah, yeah like, I, so that's that's the frustrating thing is i think to drew's point f1 the math of F1 is actually just a question of do I have access to the relevant numbers at hand, right? Like uh, 
why not give us a speed trap reading of multiple key corners on a track rather than I think what they've been doing for years, which is like taking one corner and they're like, here's the speed trap that we'll, we'll show you. And it's like, great. There's 16 corners on this track. Like this, like this one piece of data probably doesn't help me gauge what's happening across this. What probably will is comparing sector time splits. Like, do a bit of that heavy lifting up front. I think you'll you'll make the sport more intelligible. But instead, we have to have this whole uh, rigmarole. It, it's just pure theater of this notion that okay, AWS is cra- is crunching these huge, complicated data sets behind the scenes and spits out these numbers. And the answer is it really isn't. It's using it's it's using data from radar guns and uh, stopwatches. Same as we've been doing it for years, right? But I think that by and large is what we're talking about. Yeah, and like, I, I think, uh, you know, th- there's one graphic in here um, that the, the video, um, I guess, put together by AWS shows that I think could be kind of interesting, and it's uh, over or understeer. And that one is like immediately parsable, right? We know what oversteer is. We know what understeer is. And they're actually using a bunch of different data sources to determine is this car oversteering or understeering, right? And, you know, sometimes a driver may like an oversteery or understeery car. That one I can sort of understand. It's like directly analogous to what the driver is experiencing and you know what that does. Similarly, I wish, something I wish they would show more often is just like simple tire life right? How many laps has this car been on this tire? And then you can see, oh, the car chasing him uh, hasn't been on for as many laps. And yes, that's not the whole story, but we understand that. And part of the fun is taking in these data points and making our own guesses, right? So I think back off a little bit here. Uh, And there's something, there are like nuggets in here that we can take from, but I think you're right because this is being accelerated by marketing, it's just going to drown and we're going to get just inundated with a bunch of useless stuff. Yeah. And the the facet, sorry, Rob. No, I was just saying, I'm just imagining like your uh, race casters are going to have to like deal (laughs) with this stuff appearing on the broadcast, but then also caveat the shit out of it. uh, And it'll just be super awkward. Awkward. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's also, I hate the the fascination with the speed stuff also kind of reads a bit funny considering that, you know, especially during races, cars, it's not like everyone's going, during qualification is one thing, but like, it's not like they're going for the fastest lap every single lap in, in most races, like maybe at certain stints they are surely, but it's like not that useful, you know, this yeah. car speed, it is in a broader sense when we're looking at races before races and after races and analyzing them, but like during the race, Speed is like it can make it. Yeah, I don't know. Here's here's a question that um I don't know maybe a smarter person than us can can help answer. Remember for a while they had those infrared views that would show you like the uh, brake assemblies and the tires heating up. Yes. Uh, during mm-hmm. re- I would love to see more live tire temperature information. Like, and I I think you can get it without recourse to the team's onboard telemetry, which will have the actual like surface and carcass temperatures. You're not going to get that, but like you get cameras to just tell you like, what is the current surface temperature of a car? And that should probably at least give you some insight into, okay, like how much life is actually in those tires, right? Like what is this guy doing to these tires lap after lap? Um, Why don't we get that? Because that seems like it, it's, again, like that's the actual stuff. We don't need it reduced to the number. If you tell me that a guy is basically boiling his tires every lap, uh, that's useful information. Yeah, I never understood why they got rid of those. I don't, people seem to like them. I think, like, even if they cool. were, sometimes they were kind of more cool looking than they were useful. But like, oftentimes they were useful to see. I like those. They certainly had more fans than the uh, the original Halo UI thing that went off. <laughs> Yeah. But they cleaned that up as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. That's it for news. Should we take it to some emails? Let's do it. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or F1.cool slash emails. Um, the emails over the past six months have been a beautiful um, lesson in what happens when people want to email a podcast about a sport that isn't happening anymore. <laughs> um, the, pa- the past two weeks have been a menagerie of just like random thoughts sometimes associated with f1 um 
uh, people desperately trying to be on point about what's what's going on. Um, and recently, for some reason, just a, like a lot of people emailed in to ask or say they just found out that you were the blinking white guy. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Twenty so seventeen's most popular meme. There you go. That's our very own Drew Scanlon. Welcome, everyone. Um, hey, if you're a listener, welcome. There you go. And now I don't have to respond to five emails. I've said it. Great. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm gonna take. We got a couple of ones here. I'm gonna take this first one uh, from Jake. Um, going, which kind of just, if not, if nothing else, it reminded me just how off topic we got last week. <laughs> uh, Jake says, "Hi guys, I was laughing during the discussion about pronunciation of city names and the mimic reaction when around others pronouncing it differently." Uh, it reminded me of my first job where this uh, very human reaction went wrong. We had a particular individual who referred to the file extension PDF as PDIF. That's P-E-E and then D-I-F-F. PDIF. Hearing him say that was like nails on a chalkboard and gave us all migraines. I noticed my older manager, when in conversations with this individual, would actually switch to using PDIF as a pronunciation. <laughs> he, he appeared very confused. In his defense, I believe he thought it was something he didn't understand and didn't want to appear ignorant as our manager. If there is a moral of the story, then I suppose it is to be careful when you're mimicking. Um, and then on emu oil, uh, oh, which you yes. might remember. Our yeah, other emu topic oil. of discussion. <laughs> Although emu oil isn't uh, likely any different from any other animal oil, I do know there was a time when emu farming became a popular in the US. It was hoped to be the next big livestock. The market never really turned out to be fruitful, and in some cases that I'm uh, aware of, farmers actually just released all of their emu. <laughs> Many lost money on the prospect, so my guess is that these farmers are trying any way they can to make a profit from their livestock. I'm told that emu meat is actually quite delicious and an alternative to beef for those worried about their environmental impact from beef consumption. Absolutely none of this, uh, of what I've said, has anything to do with Formula 1 racing going on right now, so... <laughs> I doubt it gets red. Keep up the good work, fellas. And that was from Jake. I proved you wrong, Jake. Well, yeah, it was good enough to uh, get mentioned on a Formula One. Jake ostensibly imagines our standards are up here. Mm. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> uh, Drew, do you mind taking this next one, which is uh, more connected to F1, but okay. still not really. Uh, this is from Marcel. Uh, Marcel says, I wanted to chime in on your discussion around the way that European football has, quote, solved the problem of there being no crowds. As it is now, the crowd noise that Danny mentioned is for the most part only heard on the broadcast, meaning that the players can't hear it. Uh, however, a few clubs have started to also pump the sound into the stadium, as many players have said that they felt like they were playing a friendly or training game like Rob mentioned. As a spectator, I've been surprised by how well it actually tricks the brain into ignoring the lack of crowds. But the smartest and also uh, weirdest solution I have seen has been done by my local Danish team, Aarhus GF, who play in the top Danish football league. What they have done is that they have set up massive screens on the side of the pitch and then sold thousands of tickets to a Zoom call that connected you to that Hell screen. Yes. I believe they have been free, or at least they were very cheap. Uh, a producer is then switching between a grid of several calls on screen at one time to one Zoom call filling an entire screen. That way the players can see an immediate reaction from actual fans in their living rooms to what's happening, and the TV broadcast can cut to actual fan reactions during replays. Uh, this has worked uh, actually really well, and the sporting director has been con contacted by pretty much every major football club in Europe, as well as several as well as several big news outlets around the world. That is actually a really cool idea. Um, it's a, that's it's a, that's like that's a dystopian nightmare, but it sounds pretty cool. I, I I love the way that they had to sell the tickets to stop people from like we've already seen the power of K-pop fans. Um, yeah, when it comes to tickets, so. Like, what, what? do you think there's somebody there who just can't wait to get that full screen so they can pull their pants down and stand up or something? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Right. It's, yeah, it's Uno on the Xbox all over again. <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the closest thing I can uh, draw to this is um, I was in Austria once watching an NFL football game. Um, and it was cool. broadcast by, like, local broadcasters, like the, the sports station. So they had... Uh, German commentary for the NFL game, which is really cool. And they would cut to, um, I don't know if they were live streams or if they were just like uh, Twitter videos. It may have just been they were monitoring a hashtag, but you would basically cut to people sitting around in their living room 
because um, you know no one in Austria can go to the game. All the NFL fans in Austria are at home. Um, and when they would cut to them, uh, even though it was like between uh, two specific teams, everyone they cut to was just wearing any NFL stuff they owned because they just want to watch American football. It doesn't matter who's playing; football's on. Dude, I don't know if I mentioned this before on this podcast, but I, I went to a bunch of the international games that they did in Wembley. Do you remember? Uh-huh. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars were home team there for a couple of years. They they do like two games a year or something. I think it might be four now or it was. Um, and I, when you go to those games, I went to, I think, two over the years I lived in London. It was the same thing. It was like going to Comic-Con. People were like wearing like Dan Marino, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like Dolphins jerseys and like, you know, just anything. It, it felt like just people supporting... NFL and then when you went in the stadium they had like flags and towels for the team in the section you went to oh, which cool. was cool to sort of like try and make it make it more like that but uh yeah it was cool it was yeah that's really funny I like that a lot uh, I also came across a uh, a Twitter video um that I retweeted from the cloth map Twitter account actually uh this is from uh at Bubba Prague uh aka Timothy Burke who says uh, the quote? The tweet caption is La Liga has inserted, uh, which uh, apparently is a, a soccer, soccer league. La Liga. Yeah, La Liga is that's the Spanish Premier League, okay. basically. Um, they've done something different uh, with their broadcast. La Liga has inserted what appears to be the crowd polygons from FIFA '98 for the PlayStation. Oh my god! Oh my <laughs> god! I'm looking at this. It's it's. I'll I'll link it in the show notes. It's wild because they basically like uh digitally insert crowds that like when you're looking at them head on it's like a crowd it looks real um because the crowd is moving but as soon as you look at it side on you realize that it's just like a polygonal plane of video of a crowd it's really bizarre so it almost looks like they just they covered the seats with like a tarp of people because the the ones behind (laughs) the goal just looked like flash people they look like they're all lying down right that's hellish. I think there was one I, I might have mentioned it on that podcast where they had cutouts, uh-huh. they had cutouts of fans. But then, of course, they only had like who knows twenty different people. So there was loads of just like the same people, Duplicates. like twins sitting beside each other. Yeah, so strange. God, imagine imagine explaining this to yourself like <laughs> four months ago. <laughs> right. Oh, four months so ago strange. though. I think four months ago we'd have bought it. Right. Four months ago we were oh, like, go, yeah, yeah. That's about how this is going to shape up. Definitely. <laughs> Six months ago, no. But four months ago, it's like, yeah. I mean, we'll probably be eating those cardboard cutouts before this is over. <laughs> right. uh, unfortunately, we haven't in that, that those straits yet. Uh, our next one comes from Parker. Uh, Parker's asking Red Bull the favorites. With Austria being the first two races of the weird season this year and Red Bull's continued dominance over the years that they're on track, do any of you three see Red Bull as being an early favorite this year? Red Bull has not won at Silverstone since Battle did back in 2012, but they always seem to give a decent result there as well. That's four races that seem to be in Red Bull's favor. Mercedes has also not been dominant over the years at tracks like Spa and Monza. Ferrari were not that quick in winter testing. Could be pulling a Mercedes. Uh, I presume like sandboxing in that case. But mm-hmm. I think Red Bull could be very much the favorites, at least early in the season. Granted, we do not know the rest of the schedule outside of Europe. Interested to hear what you three have to say. Love the show. Keep up the work. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably a decent bet that Red Bull might be the favorites they're on track. But here's the thing I will also call out. I think the last two years, the other factor with Austria wasn't just the altitude. The last two years, they had unseasonable, like, hellish heat waves those years. Mm. And so teams, particularly Mercedes, that had small issues with uh, temperature management suddenly had catastrophic issues with temperature management. And they weren't able to run at their full pace. Like, I think last year, Mercedes was basically open and saying they'd kind of had to hamstring their car to make sure it could complete race distance. So they were never even in it with with Red Bull. Uh, forecast right now looks like the weather in Austria is considerably milder than we've seen it in those last two years. Now, maybe that forecast will change by the time we get to this race. Uh, but it's not the sort of uh, punishing heat that kind of handed Red Bull those wins on a platter. Uh, so when you factor in like the changes in, in engines uh, in the in the offseason and then the change in weather conditions, I still think Red Bull probably has a small edge there, but I think it's I think it's considerably smaller than it was these previous two years. 
Yeah, it's an interesting that the really good answer. I think that's that's a massive part of it that I hadn't considered. Um, uh, another as facet of his question that I find interesting is the just the idea of the statistical like the the turbulence we tend to get at the start of a season, right? Like usually Mercedes are great at the long haul. By the time by the time the season is ending, they're coasting and winning races and, and doing really well. But there was that season a couple of years ago where we had that seven winners in seven, right? Yeah, two thousand. Is that 16, 2017, maybe? Um, imagine if that happened this year, because it totally throws the doors open. Like, if if Mercedes have one or two bad, all you need is for them to, like, have two bad races. And with a, a season this short, it's kind of anyone's game. Like, I think the most annoying thing to happen would be for it to be so cut and dry for these first two races. Like, I'd love for some absolutely madness to happen uh, in Austria. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, it could well be that um you know the circumstances around the start of this uh could contribute to some weirdness because drivers have been out of the car i, I saw uh, mm. lando norris actually he he streamed f- to twitch f- using a gopro from a formula three car which was super cool i'll uh i'll make a note That's here awesome. to, to link that in the show notes too um uh but like he got out of the car and said uh you know my neck hurts like even though he's been wow. doing a lot of the stretches like he still felt a little bruised and, and sore so um this is a little like I, I i it was nascar right that uh they didn't have any practice or qualifying they were just like go <laughs> <laughs> and one of, i think one of the drivers it was at a super speedway like a really big scary oval track and one of the drivers had never driven uh, a stock car or like the nascar or the cup series stock car at wow Maybe at all, and so they didn't even let him drive. They're just like, you, you should, you should not do this. That is um, wild. So yeah, they, who knows what could happen? Uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see. Uh, all yeah, right, that's, that's that's emails. That's emails. Um, you can also hit us up uh, on social media, Twitter uh, at Shift F1 Podcast. I'm Andrew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? It's probably about time we race around the world digitally and in meet space. It's all the same now. Yeah, it is. Um, there's a, there's a, a good convergence here. I think um, uh, starting off with. Uh, uh, w series they uh, announced that they are not doing a season this year uh, they had to cancel um their uh real life season but they've started an esports series with most if not all of the real drivers uh and that is happening awesome. every thursday from june 11th to august 13th on their twitch and youtube channels uh, and they are still planning on doing a u.s and mexico grand prix support race um in 2021 for formula one so that's cool, super cool. excellent uh, Formula E, I made an announcement this week as well. Uh, they held five races before COVID hit, but they are determined to finish out this season, uh, which they are doing by holding six races in eight days. So silly. It's the and silliest the, thing I've ever seen. I couldn't stop laughing. The, and the, even crazier, it's all at one track. It is all at Berlin's Tempelhof Airport track. Uh, it will be three double headers, each with a different... Track. I, they're changing up the track configuration. There'll be three configurations. So it'll be uh, August 5th and 6th, August 8th and 9th, and August 12th and 13th. It's so silly. It's going to be weird. I hope they can, like, I hope the cars don't need that much time to charge. God, yeah. yeah. I, hope the, I hope the batteries are, you know, so you might waste the batteries, have to get new ones. In. I hope the drivers are okay. That's going to be like, that's like an endurance race. They should just do uh, the 24 hours and just knock it out one day. Yeah. Um, speaking of the 24 hours, uh, they not only had a virtual, um, Le Mans, uh, uh, race in which a lot of the official drivers, uh, took part. Um, did any of you catch any of that? Mm. Um, it was kind of fun because they, there were a lot of, you know, endurance races are all about like, can you keep your car together and working? Um, and some of them you would expect maybe not to have those kinds of problems during a virtual race, but some of them yeah. did. I think Simon Pagino, um, and I retweeted this from drivers, the, was it? What's that? There was a Windows update and he had to <laughs> <laughs> pull in for an hour. Um, I retweeted this from the Shift F1 account, but he, like, something on his steering wheel broke. Oh, uh, you're kidding. And he just, like, nosed into a wall. And so then they cut to him, like, his, like, Twitch feed or whatever, and you saw him, like, 
take his wheel off of the desk um, and then like substitute in a waiting race seat with another wheel. You are kidding me. He was like doing his own pit stop. It was crazy. That is so cool. Um, You retweeted that? I got to check that out. Yeah. Uh, Additionally, some Shift F1 listeners uh, did their own uh, Le Mans 24 hours, which is absolutely insane. Um, And uh, they... Uh, yeah, did it um, with an amazing livery as well. Yes, an amazing Shift F1 livery. Uh, Nomers in the Shift F1 Discord um, was keeping me uh, abreast of everything that was happening and sent along some really good uh, gifts and clips from uh, the Twitch streams that were going on for the uh, for that um, Shift F1 24 hour race uh, that I will put in the show notes. Uh, congrats to everyone who finished that. Yes. That's amazing. super cool. Um, and because they were using iRacing, uh, you know, they're, they um, were able to like utilize different drivers. So like different drivers were jumping in and getting in different cars and stuff. So um, that's awesome. That's uh, well done to everyone uh, involved there. Um, and let's see here. Uh, other series news. So I haven't exactly been keeping my finger on the pulse of Danish Formula 4 as much as I should be. Uh, <laughs> but they just started their season up. And apparently, um, a lot of people expected a driver named Juju Noda to do well. Um, Juju is the 14-year-old daughter of Japanese XF1 driver Hideki uh, Noda, who also has uh, a lot of Indy and Super GT experience. Um, and not only did she take pole position in her very first Danish F4 race, she won it. What? Yes. 14 years old. Yes. Uh, I have a quote here, uh, from Juju from, uh, F1 feeder series, uh, that, um, it is about this weekend's three race events and features perhaps the biggest motor racing flex I have ever read. She says... Uh, winning on your debut is something you can only do once, so that was very special. In the second race, we had a problem with the tires, but that is something that can happen if you're in motorsport. Uh, it's also important to uh, experience and learn. In the third race, I started from 12th. In Japan, I used to start from the front, and I did all the races on my own, always leading from start to finish. Here, I was behind and had to overtake other cars. It was different, but a lot of fun. Uh, before starting the race so far back, I was a little nervous, but I really enjoyed it. And the experience has given me more confidence. Yeah. Wow. Pretty unused to passing people because I've always started in the front and crushed everyone. But, you know, it was fun. That is so cool. Man, if we end up getting her in F1 in like five years, that'll be the coolest shit ever. Yeah. I looked her up um, and she set the Formula 4 lap record at Okoyama when right. she was 10 years old. What? What? Yeah. For reference, Max Verstappen did not step foot in a single seater until he was 16. That is wild. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, Speaking of feeder series, uh, Formula Regional Americas and American Formula 4 are coming back this weekend at Mid-Ohio, and apparently you can watch the races live at fanracing.live, which we'll put in the show notes as well if you want to get your... Sometimes, like, I find going and watching those, like, really uh, junior categories really fun because the broadcast mm. is so, like, duct taped together and yeah. <laughs> squirrely. So uh, that can be fun. Um, Supercars resumes their 2020 season this weekend at Sydney Motorsports Park, Eastern mm. Creek, New South Wales, for the BP Ultimate Sydney Super Sprint, uh, which is a three-race event. Um... And of course, BP is still sponsoring stuff in Australia, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Not so much over here, huh? Uh, oh, we got, uh, of course, Camping World Truck yes. this weekend. Don't fret. The trucks are here. Wait, what at that one asshole? Right, yeah. It's even better than it was before. That's right. Uh, they're racing at Long Pond, Pennsylvania at the Pocono Raceway oh, for the it. Pocono Organics 150 to benefit Farm Aid. And with trucks, of course, we got NASCAR. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. We're back, baby. Uh, We're racing this weekend. Two races. Also at Pocono. Uh, We got uh, the Pocono Organics 325 in partnership with Rodale Institute. 
Leave your flags at home, fuckers. <laughs> That's on Saturday. And then Sunday, we just got your regular old Pocono 350. Beautiful. Bumping it up by 25 for Sunday. <laughs> uh, also, courtesy of um, Bonsai 3 on the Shift F1 patron Discord, we have here a uh, sort of a, 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 a NASCAR primer in a Twitter message um, from at EDSBS. Um, basically giving a rundown of the different NASCAR tracks and uh, telling you the uh, character, I guess, of uh, of mm. what these races are. In case you wanted to start watching NASCAR, because it is one of the few motorsports racing series that's going on right now. Um, this uh, Twitter user says, watch, colon, Talladega, redneck particle accelerator. <laughs> uh, Bristol is a, a hilly-billy phone booth fight. Martinsville just says he's got a knife. Uh, Darlington <laughs> says wall need eat cars. Uh, and Daytona says Florida man, but a track. Nice. Can I get these t-shirts. <laughs> That'd be really good. I will say one of the better uh, motorsports articles I, I read this week was a piece from uh, frontstretch.com. Uh, which I think just hired Elizabeth Blackstock. Uh, oh, great. So, which is how I ended up hearing about it. But it had a piece basically making an argument, which I'd never heard because I don't follow NASCAR discourse at all, but basically making the argument that Talladega and Daytona are kind of unfit nightmare tracks uh, that are <laughs> not... that are capable of such sustained speeds, I gather, uh, that they're just like colossally dangerous, but also make for kind of boring races because drivers can't afford to take any risks at those speeds. And so it was just an interesting piece about like, you know, that description, uh, redneck particle accelerator, uh, that was kind of an argument being made about Talladega, which is just that it was kind of like designed from the ground up to be irresponsibly fast because it would be <laughs> fucking awesome. Uh, but it turns out not so much. Mm. Huh. Um, get her, get Herman Tilka over there. <laughs> oh, could you imagine the runoff at Talladega? <laughs> stretch into the Gulf of Mexico. Hey, you don't need those crowds anymore. That's true. Yeah. Just like all run off into the sky. <laughs> It'd be a track mania track. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh all right. Well that's it for us. Uh anything else, Danny? No. Ex- excited and worried <laughs> about getting back to races. I don't wanna I don't want to sugarcoat it. Um yeah, it's well it's it's gonna be interesting. We'll see what happens. Another um issue that might pop up is the news today i know this is going to affect me personally for sure but that america might be on the no fly list for a lot of european countries starting july 1st so i'm not sure if that means that it might affect haas or if they have most of their operations in europe too now anyway and they'll just keep people there i don't know but just the whole thing you know i know we're getting back racing but like this it's still such a a fluid soup we don't know what's going to happen for the next few weeks or months yeah uh final thoughts rob yeah, I think I think to that, my guess is Haas would be fine, but it does. I think right now the plan is still to try and do the USGP at some point, and if the US is kind of on a travel ban list, I assume that works the other way, right? Like you can't send F one teams to the US and then expect they'll be able to fly back. Like I don't yeah. know how these things apply with like charter flights, right? Where like you can say, well we, you know, we didn't we weren't part of American domestic air travel infrastructure, etc. I don't know how that works out, but yeah, we are in a weird place here where um the United States COVID response has been so bad and now appears to have hit the fuck it phase of yeah. uh crisis management that it does raise interesting questions for not just F1, but like how are any of these sports leagues uh, going to like, how well is any of this going to work if particularly in the U S there's so little control over this thing spread. Um, So it's so different state to state. Like anecdotally, I have friends living in Austin. We have a lot of listeners who live in Austin. I'm sure they can speak to their own experiences, but like, I know a bunch of people in Austin who, like people are just kind of doing whatever and i know people over mass who've gotten sick with it and like it it, it just uh, speaking from the california side where people are taking it like 
not even as seriously as Ireland, but way more seriously than most places. Like, I don't know how a lot of these sports, which are clearly not, you know, located in one state, how do you manage that? Like, Florida, <laughs> Florida's going to want to play football too, you know? Yeah, and, right. and real, real quick, I should say here, um, I think there's a temptation to view these things as, like, regional, where, like, ah, the South is going to completely fuck this up. I'm here in Massachusetts. Right. I don't see anybody wearing masks anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, like, yeah me neither. Deep blue oh, really? America. In Oakland, yeah, there's lots of people are. People have just completely wow. gotten, like, they just feel done with the COVID restrictions. And it's really frustrating and upsetting because this is one of those things where the, you don't wear the masks just to protect yourself. Like, it, it requires broad um, compliance with mask rules. And then we all sort of keep each other safe. But even here in Massachusetts, everyone has decided... Eh, that's a drag. I don't like wearing a mask. It, you know, my, my I get I get overheated, uh, and so nobody's doing it. Yeah, it's not it's not zero, but it's much less than it was before, like June fifteenth. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. I don't know. We live in a in a community with a lot of kids and a lot of old people, so most of the folks in our part of Oakland are are pretty being pretty good about it. But I haven't like been down the lake or anything and looked so. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So yeah. Who knows where we'll who knows where we'll be in two weeks' time? Or well, well, I guess yeah. we're gonna talk next week. We we're will. back to weekly. Yes, we are. We're back to weekly, and uh, whatever whatever the F1 2020 season is, it's going to be weird. So that'll be fun. Uh, we hope yeah. you join it. Uh, join us for it. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at Patreon.com/shiftf1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week.